What's up, everybody? I'm here to just finish the fourth part of the uh, Beowulf reading. So I'm going to try and keep this one, you know, concise. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I just started reading the uh, first part of the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross thing, which I'm going to try and put out Tuesday. Seems pretty interesting. Um, there's 191 pages of actual content and like another hundred of notes on ancient Hebrew. So... Luckily, I don't have to read the whole 400 pages, but, you know, maybe uh, when I go learn ancient Hebrew, I'll browse through the notes. But I'm going to get to work on Beowulf here, and then I'll be uh, back on Tuesday. Picking up where I left off on page 70, uh, halfway through the page. Now that valiant one, Beowulf himself, his retinue about him, went forth along the sand, treading the level beach and the wide shores. The lamp of the world shone down, the sun hasting from the south. Their journey to its end they brought, bravely marching to where, as they had learned, the protector of good men, the young warrior king, slayer of Ongentho, within his fast dwelling dealt out the rings, a worthy lord. To Higelac was word of Beowulf's coming told in haste. How there to the outer courts that lord of warriors, stout beneath the shield, was come striding to the court alive and whole from the play of war. Swift as the mighty king then bade, was room in the hall within made for the new-come warriors. He, who that strife had safely passed, now sat him beside the very king, kinsman at kinsman's side, when he with solemn words and gracious utterance had greeted his good liege lord. Now... Herod's daughter, down that high hall, passed for the pouring of the mead, cherished the good men there, bearing the cup of strong, sweet drink to the hands of mighty men. Then Higelac began in that lofty house with fair words to question the companion at his side. Eagerness pierced his heart to know of what sort the adventures of the sea-loving Geats had been. What fortune befell you on your voyage, Beowulf beloved, since thou didst on a sudden take the mind to seek strife far away over the salt waters? deeds of arms and harrow. And come, didst thou for Hrothgar king renowned in any wise amend his grief so widely noised? On this account did care about my heart well ever up in surging sorrow. I feared the hazard of my man beloved. Thee long I prayed that thou shouldst in no wise approach that deadly creature, but shouldst, shouldst suffer the South Danes. Look themselves to their war with Grendel. To God I render thanks that I can now see thee safe returned." Beowulf made answer, son of Edge, though. Lord Higelac, no secret is it to many among mortal men in what sort our warlike bout, the mighty duel of Grendel and of me, fell out upon the field. Where many a host of wrongs and age-long misery he wrought against the victorious Sildings. These did I all avenge, so that none upon earth of Grendel's kin hath cause to boast of that encounter at Great On. Whoso of that fell brood yet longest liveth in the encircling fens. First then I came there to the Hall of Rings, greeting Hrothgar. Straightway did the renowned son of Hifaldin, as soon as he learned the temper of my mind, beside his own son appoint my seat. The company was in mirth. Nor saw I ever in life beneath the vault of heaven greater revelry of men that sit at mead within the hall. It whiles the glorious queen, peace and goodwill of peoples, did traverse all that floor about, enhancing, enheartening the young esquires off to some night, she gave a twisted ring ere she went unto her seat. It whiles before the host Hrothgar's daughter bore the goblet of ale to all good men in turn, here did I hear men sitting in that hall name Fr- Frwaru, Freyor, 
As the gem-studded vessel to mighty men she gave, betrothed to she, that young maid, gold adorned to Froda's gallant son, this hath the Sildings lord, the shepherd of his realm, determined and accounts it policy that through that woman he may set to rest long tale of deadly deeds of enmity and strife. Oft do we see that seldom in any place, even for the briefest time, when a prince falleth, doth the murderous spear relent. Good though the bride may be, this, maybe, will in that purpose time displease the Hithabardish king and each knight of that folk. When one walks down their hall beside the lady, a noble scion of the Danes amid their host, on him will gaily gleam things prized by their sires of old, a stout sword ring, ring adorned, once treasure of the Hithobards, while yet their weapons they could yield, until they led their comrades dear and at their own lives to ruin it in clash of shields. Then will one speak at all. Seeing that costly thing, a soldier old who remembers all, recalling the slang of men with spears, grim as the heart of him. With gloomy thought, he will begin to try the young warrior's temper, searching the secrets of his breast. To wake again, cruel war, and these words will he say, Canst thou not, my lord, the sword recall which thy father bore, his prized blade unto the fray, wearing his visored helm upon that latest day, whereon the Danes slew him, the eager Sildings, and were masters of the stricken field. After Withergild was slain, and the downfall of mighty men. Now here the son of one, I know not who, among those slayers walks in this hall. His heart uplifted with the fair things boasteth of the slaying, and were... We are at that treasure, which thou should by right possess. Thus at each occasion will he stir remembrance, prompting with wounding words, until the hour cometh when that lady's night shall reap. Sleep, red with his blood from the bite of sword, forfeiting his life for his father's deeds. The other, fleeing thence, will, will with his life escape, knowing the land full well. Then will on other hand, either hand the sworn oaths of men be broken. Thereafter will cruel thoughts of hate surge up in Ingeld's heart. And for this tide of woe, cooler will wax his love of life. For this, for this cause, I count the goodwill of the Hithobards, their part in this royal truce. Filled with menace for the Danes, their friendship insecure. I shall speak on once more concerning Grendel, that thou mayst fully know, O giver of rich gifts, to what end it came when we mighty ones did rush to grips. So soon as the jewel of the sky had gilded over the world, that creature came in ire, bringing fierce horror in the dusk, to seek us out where yet unharmed that hall we guarded. There did slaughter upon hand to so fall, a cruel ending to his doomed life. Sword-girt warrior, he was the first to fall. Death came to that young knight renowned by Grendel's jaws, who all the flesh devoured of him we loved. And yet none the more did he desire to go forth from that golden hall with empty hand, that murderer with bloody tooth, bethinking him of evil deeds. Nay, he in his strength glorying of me made trial, seized upon me with eager clutch. His pouch hung down, deep was it and strange, made fast with curious thongs. With, the, with subtle skill it was all contrived by fiends, craft, wrought of dragon hides. Therein did he, doer of deadly deeds, desire to thrust me all unoffending, adding one more to many that might not be done, when I and ire stood upright upon my own feet. Too long is it to tell how I, to that destroyer of men, gave due reward for each of his foul deeds. There I, my lord, brought honor on thy people by my works. To hiding he escaped, lit a while possessed the joys of life. And yet his right hand remained to mark his trail behind in Harrow. 
and he humbled, misery in his heart, far thence did cast him to the mirror's abyss. For that deadly combat the Stilding's lord granted me a manifold reward of plated gold and many precious things. When morn was come and we had sat us, sat us at the feasting, there was mirth and minstrelsy. The aged Stilding, full of ancient lore, told tales of long ago. Now did he, once bold in battle, touch the harp to mirth, the instrument of music, now a lay recited true and bitter. Or again, great-hearted king, some wondrous tale rehearsed in, o in order due, or yet again, warrior of old wars, in age's fetters did lament his youth and strength in arms. His heart heaved within him, when he wise with many years recalled a host of memories." Thus did we within that hall, all the long day, take our delight until another night came upon this world. Then was Grendel's mother swiftly ready to revenge her woe once more. Full of anguish she took the road. Death had taken her son, the wrathful valor of the wind-loving Geats. Inhuman troll-wife she avenged her child, and daringly a man she slew. There was from Escher the life sped forth, a sage wise in old lore, nor could they, the Danish lords, when morn was come, burn him sleeping in death upon the blazing wood, nor lift upon the pyre that man beloved. She had borne away that corpse in her fiend's clutches beneath the mountain stream. That was for Hrothgar, the most grievous of those his sorrows that he, lord of his folk, long while had known. Then the king gloomy-hearted implored me by thy life that I would in the tumult of the deeps accomplish deeds of prowess, adventure my life achieving glory. Reward, he vowed me. Then, as is noised abroad, I sought out the grim and dreadful guardian of the whirling gulf. There a while were our hands in duel joined, the deeps swirled with blood, and in that abysmal hall I hewed the head of Grendel's mother with the edges of a mighty sword. Thence hardly did I retrieve my life, but not yet was I doomed to die. Nay, the son of Hifaldine, protector of good men, gave me thereafter a multitude of precious things. Thus did the king of that people live according to kingly virtue. No wit did I fall to find those rewards, my valor's need. Nay, to me the son of Hifaldine gave costly things at mine own choice. These, O warrior king, I will bring to thee, offering them in all good heart. To thee belongeth still all that share of joys. Few have I of kinsmen near and dear. O Hagalak, save thee. He bade now the men bring in the banner charged with the boar's head. The helm towering in war, the gray corslet, the sword of battle cunning wrought, and thereupon uttered these appointed words. To me did the wise prince Hrothgar give this raiment of war, and spake, bidding me that I should first describe to thee his gracious gift. He said that King Hrogar, lord of the Stildings, long while possessed it, and yet he would not for that the rather bestow it upon his son, the gallant Heorward. These names are stupid. Honestly, how can you come up with these? That's like seven constants in a row. For the clothing of his breast. Loyal to him though he was. Use all the gifts with honor, said he. I have heard that to the, those fair things, four steeds, dapple, gray, swift, and well-matched were added. Beowulf to Higelac granted the sweet possession of horses and of precious things. Even so shall a kinsman do. Nor in any wise shall spread with secret craft a net of malice for another. Death devising for the comrade at his side to Higelac. Dauntless and fell deeds, his nephew was exceeding true, and each was mindful of the other's honor. I have heard, too, that to Hig Higelac he gave that necklace, a costly thing of intricate and marvelous fashion, which Wealthio, king's daughter, had bestowed upon him. 
And therewith three horses, lithe-limbed with gleaming saddles, nobly arrayed was her breast thereafter by that necklace she received. Thus did the son of Edgetho, renowned in battle, show his manhood and fair deeds, bearing himself honorably. Never did he at the drinking strike at the drinking strike down the comrades of his hearth. No grim heart was this. Nay, with greatest gift, with greatest might among mankind, he maintained those lavish gifts which God had granted him, a warrior bold. Long was he contemned, for the sons of the Geats did not account him worthy, nor would the king of the wind-loving folk accord him a place of much honor upon the seats where men drank mead. They much misdoubted that he was of sluggish mood, without eager spirits through, through of noble birth. A change and end of all, heart, all his heart's griefs had come for him, a man now blessed with glory. Then the king, in battle valiant, protector of good men, commanded that a fair thing bequeathed by Herethel, adorned with gold, should be brought into the hall. In that time, there was not among the Geats a treasure or rich gift more excellent in form of sword. This now on Beowulf's lap he laid, and granted unto him seven thousand hides of land, a hall and princely throne. To both of them alike had land by blood descended in that realm, estates and rightful, er rightful er heritage, but in greater measure to the one that was higher in the land a kingdom wide. This after came to pass in later days in the clash, clash of wars, when Hagalak was fallen, and swords of battle had been Heardred's bane amid the shielded ranks. What time the warlike Sildings, dauntless men of arms, sought him out amid his glorious people and came upon him, nephew of Hereric, with fell assault, then into Beowulf's hands came that broad realm. Well, he ruled it for fifty winters. Now was he a king of many years, aged guardian of his rightful land, until a certain one of the dark nights began to hold sway. A dragon. Even he who on the high heath watched his hoard, his steep stone barrow, below lay a path little known to men. Therein went some nameless man, creeping in nigh to the pagan treasure. His hands seized a goblet deep, bright with gems. This the dragon did not, after in silence, bear, albeit he had been cheated in his sleep by thief's cunning. This the people learned, men of the neighboring folk, that he was wroth indeed. By no means of intent had that man broken the dragon's hoard of his own will. He who thus wronged him grievously, but in dire need, being the thrall of some one among the sons of mighty men, he had fled from the lashes of wrath, and having no house, he crept therein, a man burdened with guilt. Soon did the dragon bestir himself, that swiftly upon the tres trespasser dire terror fell. Yet nonetheless ill-fated one, when the sudden danger came on him, he saw a treasure chest. There was in that house of earth many of such olden treasures, as someone I know not who, among men in days of yore, had there prudently concealed jewels of price and mighty heirlooms of a noble race. All of them death had taken in times before, and now he too, alone of the proven warriors of his people, who longest walked the earth, watching, grieving for his friends, hoped but for the same fate, that he might only a little space enjoy those long-hoarded things. A barrow, already waited upon the earth nigh to the watery waves, new-made upon a headland, secured by binding spells. Therein did the keeper of the rings laid a portion right worthy to be treasured of the wealth of noble men, of plated gold. In the few words he spake, Keep thou now, earth, since mighty men could not, the wealth of warriors. Lo, aforetime, in thee it was that good men found it, death in battle, 
cruel and deadly evil, hath taken each mortal man of my people, who have forsaken this life. The mirth of warriors in this hall, I have none that may bear sword, or burnish plated cup and precious drinking vessel. The proud host hath vanished away. Now shall the hard helm, gold adorned, be stripped of its plates. Those who should burnish it, who should polish its visor for battle, are asleep. And the armor, too, that stood while the bite of iron swords in war amid bursting shields now followeth its wearer to decay. The ringed corselet no more may widely fare in company of a prince of war upon the side of almighty men. There is no glad sound of harp, no mirth of instrument of music, nor doth good hawk sweep through the hall." nor the swift horse tramp the castle court. Ruinous death hath banished hence many one of a living man. Even thus in woe of heart he mourned his sorrow. Alone when all had gone, joyless he cried, aloud by day and night, until the tide of death touched at his heart. This hoarded loveliness did the oldest spoiler wandering in his gloom find standing unprotected. Even he who filled with fire seeks out mounds of burial, the naked dragon of fell heart that flies wrapped about in flame. Him do earth's dwellers, dwellers great, greatly dread. Treasure in, treasure in the ground, it is ever his wont to seize, and there wise with many years he guards the heathen gold. No wit doth it profit him. Even thus had that despoiler of men for three hundred winters kept beneath the earth that house of treasure, waxing strong until one filled his heart with rage, a man who bore to his liege lord a gold-plated goblet, beseeching truce and pardon of his master. Then was the hoard laid bare. The hoard of rings minished, and his boon granted to the man forlorn. The lord for the first time gazed now on the old works of men. Then the serpent woke. New strife arose. He smelt now along the rock, and grim-hearted he perceived the footprint of his foe, who in his stealth had stepped right nigh, yea, close to the dragon's head. Thus may indeed one whose fate is not, not to die with ease escape woe and evil lot, if he have the favor of the Lord. The guardian of the horde searched eagerly about the ground, desiring to discover the man who had thus wrought him injury as he lay in sleep. Burning, woeful at heart, Oft times he compassed, compassed all the circuit of the mound, but no man was there in the waste. Nonetheless, he thought with joy of battle, of making war. <clears throat> Ever and anon, he turned him back into the barrow, seeking the jeweled vessel. Quickly had he discovered this, that someone among men had explored the gold and mighty treasures. In torment, the guardian of the horde abode until evening came. Then was the keeper of the barrow swollen with wrath, purposing, fell beast, with fire to avenge his precious drinking vessel. Now was the day fated of the, to the serpent's joy. No longer would he tarry on the mountainside, but went, blazing forth, sped with fire. Terrible for the people in that land was the beginning of that war, even as swift and bitter it came its end upon their lord and patron. Now the invader did begin to spew forth glowing fires and set ablaze the shining halls. The light of the burning leapt forth to the woe of men. No creature there did that fell winger of the air purpose to leave alive. Might, wide might it be seen how the serpent went to war. The malice of that fell oppressor from near and far be seen how that destroyer in battle pursued and humbled the people of the Geats. Back to his horde he sped to his dark hall ere the time of day. He had wrapped the dwellers in the land in flame, in fire, in burning. He trusted in his barrow, in its wall, in his own warlike might, and his trust cheated him. Now to Beowulf were the dread tidings told, swift and true that his own homestead, best of houses, was crumbling in the whirling blaze. 
even the royal seat of the Geats, grief was that to the good man's heart, the greatest of sorrows in his breast. Wise though he was, he thought that he had bitterly angered the eternal Lord, ruler of all, against the ancient law. His breast within him was whelmed in dark boding thought, as was unwanted of him. The flaming dragon from without that seaboarded land with glowing fires had crushed to ruin the stronghold of the folk, the guarded realm. For him did the king of war, lord of the wind-loving Geats, ponder vengeance therefore. He then, protector of warriors, lord, lord of good men, bade fashion for him a shield for battle curiously wrought, all made of iron. Full well he knew that no wood of the forest, no linden shield would avail him against the flame. Appointed was it that the prince, proven of old, should find now the end of his fleeting days, of life in this world, and the serpent with him, albeit he had long possessed his hoarded wealth. Lo, the lord of gold disdained with the host and mighty army to go against the creature flying far abroad. For himself he did not fear the contest, nor account as anything the valor of the serpent, nor his might and courage, for he, daring many a grievous strait, had aforetime come safe through many a deadly deed and clash of war. Since the time when champion victory crowned, he had purged Hrothgar's hall, and in battle crushed the kin of Grendel of hated race. Not the least of these encounters was that wherein Hagelak was slain, when in the onslaughts of war blades drank the blood of the king of the Geats, the gracious prince of peoples, Hrethel's son, in the Frisian lands by the broadsword, beaten down, thence Beowulf got him by his own prowess. Using his craft of swimming, he alone upon his arm had thirty coats of mail as he strode into the deep. Little cause in sooth had the Hetwar, who bore forth their shields against him to exult in that fight on foot. Few came back from that fierce warrior to see their home. Then the son of Ejtho, over the expanse of the salt sea, unhappy and alone, swam back into his people. There, Higelac, offered him treasury and realm, rings and kingly throne. She trusted not in her son that he was yet wise enough to defend the seats of his fathers against alien hosts. Okay, so I understand. Higelac and Higd are... They came off as, like, a shortening of Higelac, but apparently that's his son. So, since Higelac was dead, yet never the more could the bereaved people obtain in any wise from the prince that, that he would be lord over her, Herdred or accept the kingship. Rather, he upheld him among his folk with friendly counsel and love and honor, until he grew older and ruled the wind-loving Geats. To Hirdred came banished men over the sea, the sons of o Othir. They had set at naught the lord of the Silfings, that best of sea kings that ever in Sweden dealt out precious gifts, a king renowned, that marked his end there to the son of Higelac, for his harboring was allotted a deadly wound by stroke of sword. But the son of Ongintho, when Herdred was slain, returned to seek his home, suffering Beowulf to hold the kingly throne and rule the Geats. A good king was he. He did not forget the requital of his prince's fall in latter days. To Edgil's in his need he, found, he was found a friend. With the host he supported Othir's son, with warriors and weapons beyond the broad lake, and later in cold and grievous marches achieved revenge, the king he reft of life. Even thus had he, the son of Edge, though, been preserved in every deadly strait and cruel slaying and desperate deed, until that one day when he must fight the serpent. 
Then, filled with grief and rage, the lord of the Geats, with eleven companions, went to look upon the dragon. Already he had learned whence those deeds of enmity and dire hatred of men had sprung. Into his possession had come the splendid and precious vessel by the hand of the spy. He was in that company the thirteenth man who had wrought the beginning of that warfare. A captive with gloomy heart, he now must in shame show the way thence over the land. Against his will, he went to where he knew a solitary hall of earth, a vault underground, nigh to the surges of the deep and the warring waves, all filled within it, was cunning with cunning work and golden wire. The monstrous guardian, eager and ready in battle, ancient beneath the earth, kept those golden treasures. No easy bargain that for any among men to win. Now upon the headland sat the war-proven king, from whom the Geats had loving gifts of gold, while he bade farewell unto the companions of his hearth. Heavy was his mood. Restless, hastening toward death. The fate very nigh indeed was that to assail that aged one, to attack the guarded soul within and sunder life from body. Not for long thereafter was the spirit of the prince in flesh and trammeled. Beowulf spake, the thun of edge though, in youth from many an onslaught of war I came back safe. For many a day of battle, I do recall it all. Seven winters old was I, when the king of wealth, gracious prince of peoples, received me of my father. King Hrethel it was, who guarded me and kept me, gave me rich gift and fair feast, remembering our kinship. No wit was I, while he lived, less beloved by him within his house than any of this, any of his sons, even Haribeld and Hathren, and Higelac, my lord. For his eldest as never should it have been, by a kinsman's deed, the bed of cruel death was made. When ha Hathren, with arrow from his horn-tipped bow, smote grievously his lord, he missed his mark and shot to death his kinsman. Brother slew brother with a bloody shaft. That was an assault inexpiable, a wrong most evilly wrought, heart-wearying to the soul, and yet the prince must depart from life all unavenged. In likewise, it is grievous for a man to endure that his son, yet young, should swing upon the gallows, that he should utter a dirge, a lamentable song, while his child hangs a sport unto the raven. And he old and waited, with years cannot devise him any aid. Ever is he reminded, each morning of his son's passing. Little he cares to await within his courts another heir, now that this one hath tasted evil deeds through the violence of death. In care and sorrow he sees in his son's dwelling the hall of feasting, the resting places swept by the wind robbed of laughter. The riders sleep, mighty men gone down into the dark. There is no sound of harp, no mirth in those courts, such as once there were. Then he goes back unto his couch. Alone for the one beloved he lay, he sings a lay of sorrow. All too wide and void did seem to him those fields and dwelling places. Even so did the lord of the wind-loving folk bear the surging sorrow of his heart for Haribeld. In no wise could the exact atonement for the evil deed from the slayer of life. None the more might pursue with deeds of hate that warrior, though little was his love. Then beneath that sorrow that had fallen, thus too grievously upon him, he forsook the joys of men, God's light he sought, to his heirs, as rich man doth. He left his lands and populous towns, departing from that life. Soon was deed of hate and strife betwixt Swede and Geat, and feud on either hand across the water wide, bitter enmity in war. Since Hrethel was dead, or else the sons of Ungenthau were bold in war, eager to advance, and desired not to keep the peace across the sea. But about Haransabog, they oft times wrought cruel laughter in their hate. 
That did my kinsmen avenge, the deeds of enmity, and wrong as it has been famed, albeit one of them paid for it with his life in grim barter. Upon Hathron, lord of the Geats, war fell disastrous. That day, as I have heard, at morn, one kinsman with the edges of his sword brought home to the slayer, the other's death. When Ongenthau met Yofer, and the helm of battle sprang asunder, and the aged sylphing fell, death pale in the fray. His hand remembered fell deeds now, but it warded not the fatal stroke. Higelac I repaid in battle for those precious gifts that he gave me, even as was permitted me. With my shining sword he gave me lands and the joyous possession of my father's home. No need was there for him that he should seek among the Gefethas or the spearmen of the Danes or in the Swedish realm, a warrior less doughty, or hire such with pay. Ever in the marching hosts I would go before him alone in the front of war, and thus shall life do battle. While, while the sword endures that has oft, early and late, served me well. Since before the proven hosts my hands were Dagrin's death, the champion of the Franks. In no wise might he bring that fair wrought ornament to the, of the beast, of the breast unto the Frisian king. Nay, he fell in battle, the keeper of their banner. That prince in his pride, no sword edge was his slayer, but a warrior's gripe. It was that quenched his beating heart, crushing his frame of bones. N now shall this sword's edge, hard and tempered blade, do battle for the horde. Beowulf spake, for the last time proud words he uttered. In youth many a deed of war I dared, and still I will. Aged protector of my people, seek strife and achieve renown. If that worker of evil and ruin comes forth from his house of earth to find me, then he, had, he addressed each of those men, bold warriors bearing their shields. His dear comrades, for the latest time, I would not bear sword or weapon against the serpent. If I knew how else I might grapple with the fierce destroyer to mine honor, as aforetime I did with Grendel. But here do I look for fell fire's heat, for blast and venom. Wherefore I have upon me shield and corslet, yet I will not from the barrow's keeper flee one foot's pace. But to us twain thereafter shall it be done. At the mount's side, even as fate, the portion of each man decrees to us, fearless in my heart, wherefore I forbear from vaunting threat against this winged foe. Wait now on the hill, clad in your corslets, ye knight knights in harness, to see which of us two may better endure his wounds, when the combat is over. This is not an errand for you, nor is it within the measure of any man save me alone that he should put forth his might against the fierce destroyer, doing deeds of knighthood. I shall with my valor win the gold, or else shall war, cruel, and deadly evil take your prince. Then the bold warrior stood up beside his shield, resolute beneath his helm. Wearing his grim mail, he strode up to the stony cliffs, trusting in the strength of one man alone. Such is no craven's feat. Then he who, endowed with manly virtue, had passed through many a host of battles in a clash of war, when the ranks of men smote, smote together, saw now at the mound's side a stone arch standing from when, whence a stream came hurrying from the hill. The boiling water of that spring was hot with deadly fires. No man could long while endure unscorched that deep place, nigh the horde by reason of the dragon's flame. Now in his wrath, the prince of the wind-loving Geats let words speed from his breast. Grim of heart, he shouted loud, so that his voice came ringing clear as a war cry in beneath the hoary rock. Hatred was aroused. The guardian of the horde perceived the voice of man. No longer was there space for the suing of peace. Forth came first the blast of the fierce destroyer from out the rock. Hot vapor, threatening battle. The earth rang. 
The Lord of the Geats, beneath the mound, flung round his warrior shield to meet the dreadful comer. Now was the heart of the coiling breast stirred to come out to fight. His sword had already the good king drawn for battle. His ancient heirloom quick of edge, each with fell purpose in their hearts new dread of the other. But undaunted stood the prince of vassals with a tall shield against him, while the serpent swiftly coiled itself together in his armor. He awaited it. Now it came blazing, gliding in loops of cur- in looped curves, hastening to its fate. The shield well protected the life and limbs of the king, renowned a lesser, while than his desire had asked. If he were permitted to possess victory in battle, as that time on the first occasion of his life, for him fate decreed it not. The lord of the Geats flung up his arm, and with his ancient sword smote the dreaded foe, and the burnished edge turned on the bony body, but less keenly than his king had need. Thus sore oppressed, then was the guardian of the barrow after that warlike stroke and fell mood. Murderous fire he flung, wide the flames of battle sprang. No triumphant cry of victory then uttered he, from whom the Geats had love and gifts of gold. His naked blade had failed him in the cruel deeds of battle, as never should it have done. That iron tried of old, no pleasant fare was that his that day, nor such than the renowned son of Edgetho should of his own will forsake that field on earth. Against his will must he inhabit a dwelling otherwhere, even as each must man leaving the brief days of life. Not long was it now, before those fierce slayers together came again. The guardian of the horde took heart afresh. His breast heaved with gasping breath. Anguish he endured, oppressed with fire, who aforetime was ruler of his folk. In no wise did his companions of arms, sons of princes, stand about him. A company proved in war. Nay, they had retreated to a wood for the saving of their lives. In one alone of them, the heart was moved with grief. Kinship may nothing set aside in virtuous mind. Viglaf was he called, Vistan's son. That fair warrior beneath his shield, a lord of Silfling race, of Elfir's line, he saw his liege lord beneath his visored helm of war and torment of heat. He remembered then those favors which Beowulf had granted to him, the rich dwelling place of the Vegamundings, and all the landed rights which his father had before held. Then he could hold back no more. His hand wielded shield of the yellow linden, ancient sword he drew. Among men it was known as plunder of Eamon Othir's son, a lordless exile. Did Vistan in battle slay with edge sword, and to Yemen's kin bore off his bright burnished helm, ringed corslet, and old gigantic sword, all of which Anella did return to him, the battle harness of his nephew and gallant gear of war. Nor did he speak of the injury to his house, albeit... Vistan had laid low his brother's son. These fair things he kept for many a year, both sword and corslet, until his son might accomplish deeds of knightly valor as his father had before him. Then he gave unto him, in the land of the Geats, of of harness of battle and uncounted store. When he departed life full of years upon his journey hence, full of years upon his journey hence. This was the first venture in which that champion young was destined to make onslaught and battle beside his good lord. His heart turned not to water within him, nor did the weapon his sire bequeathed betray him in the fight, and that indeed the serpent found when they came together. Viglaf spake many a right fight fitting word, saying to his comrades, for heavy was his heart, I do not forget the time when where we took our mead in the hall of revelry. We vowed to our master, who gave us these precious things, that we would repay him for that raiment of warriors, the helmets and stout of swords, if ever on him such a need, sh- need such as this should fall. 
For this of his own choice he chose us amid the host, for this adventure, considering us worthy of glorious deeds. For this he gave, a, gave to me those costly gifts, for he accounted us spearmen valiant, bold bearers of the helm. Yea, even though our Lord, shepherd of his people, purposed alone on our behalf to achieve this work of prowess, for he hath above all men wrought feats of renown and deeds of daring, now is the day come when our liege lord hath need of valor and of warrior's good. Come, let us go to him. Let us help our leader in arms, while the heat endures, the glowing terror grim. God knoweth that for my part far sweeter is it for me that glowing fire should embrace my body beside the Lord that gave me gold, nor seems it fitting to me that we bear back our shields unto our home, unless we can first smite down the foe, and defend the life of the king of the wind-loving people. Verily I know that his desert deserts of old were not such that he alone of proven Gidish men might suffer anguish and fall in battle. With him, my sword and helm, my corslet, my armor shall be joined in league. Then strode he through the deadly reek, his head armed for war to the succor of his lord. In those brief words he spake, Beowulf, beloved, do all things well unto the end, even as thou didst vow aforetime in the days of youth that thou wouldn't, wouldst not, while living, suffer to honor thy, whew, suffer thy honor to fall low. Now must thou, brave in deeds, thy noble heart unwavering, with all thy might thy life defend. To the uttermost I will aid thee. Upon these words the serpent came on in wrath a second time. Alien creature, fierce and evil, assailing with swirling fires, drawing nigh unto his foes, these hated men. His buckler in the billowing flames was burned even to the boss. His corslet could afford no help to that young wielder of that spear, but beneath his kinsman's shield stoutly fared that warrior young. When his own was crumbled in the glowing fires, now once more the king of battles recalled his renowned deeds. With mighty strength he smote with his warlike sword, and fast in the head it stood driven by fierce hate. Nagling burst asunder. Beowulf's sword, old, gray, gray-bladed had failed him in the fight. It was not vouchsafed to him that blades of iron might be his aid in war. Too strong that hand. That, as I have heard, with its sweep swing overtaxed each sword. When he to the battle bore weapons marvelously hard, no wit did it profit him. Then, for the third time, the destroyer of the folk, the fell fire dragon, bethought him of deeds of enmity and rushed upon that valiant man. Now that a clear field was given him, burning and fierce in battle, his neck with his sharp bony teeth he sees now all about, and Beowulf was reddened with his own lifeblood. It welled forth in gushing streams. I have heard tell that in that hour of, his, of this king's need, the good man unbowed showed forth his valor, he might, his might and courage, as was the manner of his kin. He heeded not those jaws, nay, his hand was burned. As valiant he aided now his kinsmen, and smote that alien creature fierce, a little lower down. A knight in arms was he, so that bright and golden hilted his sword plunged in, and the fire began thereafter to abate. Once more the king himself mastered his senses, drew forth a deadly dagger, deadly dagger keen and wetted for the fray that he wore against his mail. Lord of the wind-loving folk, he ripped up the serpent in the midst. They had slain their foe. Valor had vanquished life. Yea, together they had destroyed him. Those two princes of one house, of such short sort should a man be, a loyal liege at need. 
that for the king was the last of his hours of triumph by his own deed, last of his labors in the world. Now the wound that the dragon of the cave had wrought on him began to burn and swell. Swiftly did the did he this perceive, that in his breast within the venom seethed with deadly malice? Then the prince went and sat, upon, sat him upon a seat besides the mound, full of deep thought. He gazed upon the work of giants, marking how that everlasting vault of earth contained within it those stony arches on their pillars fast upheld. Then that knight, surpassing good with his friends, sprinkled him with water, that king renowned, all dreadly bloody, his own liege lord, weary of war, his helmet he unclasped. Beowulf spake, despite his hurt, his grievous mortal wound, he spake. Verily he knew that he had accomplished his hours of life, his joys upon the earth. Now was departed all the number of his days, and death exceeding near. Now to a son of mine, I should have wished to give my harness a battle. Had it been granted unto me that any heir of my body should follow me, this people have I ruled for fifty winters. No king was there, not one among the peoples dwelling nigh who dared with allied swords approach me, or threaten me with war's alarm. In mine own land I faced what time brought forth, held well mine own, nor pursued with treachery cruel ends, nor swore me many an oath unrighteously. In all this may I now, sick of mortal wounds, have joy. For that ruler of men hath not cause to charge me with cruel murder of my kin, when my life departed from my body. Now go swiftly and survey the hoard beneath the hoary rock. Viglaf beloved, now that the serpent lieth dead, sleepeth wounded sore, robbed of his treasure, make now haste that I may behold the wealth of long ago. The golden riches may plain survey, the clear jewels cunning wrought. And so may I, the wealth of precious things achieved, the softer leave my life and the lordship which long time I held. Let us now haste going once again to find and look upon that press of fair-wrought gems, the marvelous things beneath the builded mound. I will guide you, that ye from nigh at hand shall gaze at there upon rings and plenty and on massive gold. Let the beer be ready, swiftly arrayed, when we come out. Let us Then let us bear our prince, our dear beloved, where he shall long abide in the keeping of the Lord. Then the son of Wistan, mighty man of valor, bade them summons sent many among men that homesteads ruled that they being masters of men should bring from afar wood for the pyre to their good lord's need. Now shall the smoking flame be fed, the glowing fire devour the prince of men, even him who oft endured the iron hail. When the storm of arrows urged by bowstrings fled about the wall of shields, and the shaft performed its tasks sped by its feathered raiment, following the arrowhead. Moreover, the wise son of Wistan summoned with the host of the king's own knights seven in company, men most excellent, now eight warriors, in all that they went under the accursed roof, one bearing in his hand a fiery torch. Going forward at their head, no need then to cast lots who should despoil that horde, when keeperless those men espied still any portion lying crumbling there. Little did any grieve that they in haste brought forth those treasures of great price. The serpent, too, they thrust over the towering cliff, let the tide the dragon take, the flowing sea engulf the keeper of fair things. Then was the wreathed gold laid upon a wain, beyond all count, and the prince borne away to Wales Head, their chieftain oar. For them, for him then, the Gietish lords a pyre prepared upon the earth, not stingy, with helms o'erhung and shields of war, and corslet shining, as his prayer had been. Now laid there 
they amidmost their glorious king, mighty men lamenting their lord beloved. Then upon the hill warriors began the mightiest of funeral fires to waken. Wood smoke mounted black above the burning. A roaring flame ringed with weeping till the swirling wind sank quiet, and the body's bony house was crumbled into the blazing core. Unhappy in heart, they mourned their misery and their liege lord slain. There too a lamentable lay many a Gietish maiden with braided tress for Beowulf made, singing in sorrow, oft repeating that days of evil she sorely feared. Many a slaying cruel and terror-armed ruin in thraldom's bond. The smoke faded in the sky. Then the lords of the wind-loving people upon a seaward slope, a tome, a tomb wrought that was high and broad, to voyagers on the waves clear seen far, and in ten days they builded the memorial of the brave in war, encompassed with a wall what the fires had left. In such most splendid wise as men of chief wisdom could con contrive, in that mound they laid armlets and jewels and all such ornament as erewhile daring hearted men had taken from the hoard, abandoning the treasure of mighty men to earth to keep. Gold to the ground where yet it dwells is profitless to men as it proved of old. Then about the tomb rode warriors valiant, sons of princes, twelve men in all, who would their woe bewail. Their king's lament, a dirge upraising, that man praising, honoring his prowess and his mighty deeds, his worth esteeming, even as is meet that man, should his lord beloved in wounds extol, in words extol, in heart cherish, when forth he must from the raiment of flesh be taken far away. Thus bemourned the Gietish folk their master's fall, comrades of his heart of his hearth, crying that he was ever of the kings of earth of men most generous and to men most gracious to his people most tender and for praise most eager okay so that was Beowulf and if we are right about that one the story begins with a man known as Beowulf and ends with his death so I'm going to read the lay of Beowulf 2 Beowulf and the monsters and then I'm going to close this one up Grendel came forth at dead of night, the moon in his eyes shone glassy bright, as over the moors he strode in might, until he came to Hayerow. Darkly the dale the windows shone, by the wall he lurked and listened long, and he cursed their laughter and he cursed their song, and the twanging harps of Hayerow. The lights were quenched and laughter still, there Grendel entered and ate his fill, and the blood was red that he did spill on the shining floor of Hayerow. No Dane ever dared that monster meet, or abide the tramp of those dread feet, in the hall alone he held his seat, the demon lord of Hayerow. It mourned King Hrothgar on his throne, for his lieges slain there mourned alone, but Grendel gnawed the flesh and bone of the thirty thanes of Denmark. A ship there sailed like a winged swan, and the foam was white on the water's wan, and one there stood with bright helm on that fate had brought to Denmark. Beowulf soft on his pillow slept, and Grendel in lust to the dark hall crept. The door sprang back, and in he leapt and grasped the guard of Hayero. His bear aroused from his mountain lair, Beowulf grappled with Grendel there, and his arm and claw awaited terror, and black blood spilled in Hayero. Mary the Mead goes round the board, the men, and merrier men, and glad their lord, and many a jewel in horse and sword he gives in gift to Beowulf. The Danes in slumber all careless lie, nor dream of a fiend that draweth nigh, to avenge the death her son to die, and his blood there spilled by Beowulf. The laughter was still, and the lights were low, the mother of trolls were there wrought them woe, and a Danish corpse she turned to go, and shrieking fled from Hayero. Like a shadow cast on the mountain mist, where the winds were bleak and the heather hissed, she fled, but none could keep her tryst, since her son found death in Hayero. There was one who dared over mountain road to follow her fleeing with dreadful load to the foaming fall where she abode while men made moan in Hayero. Far over the misty moorlands cold where the wild wolf howled upon the wold. 
past Dragon's Lair and Nikor's Hold, and far from the lights of Hayro. Their sheer was the shore over water's floor, and withered and bent the trees it bore. Those waters black were bent, were blent with gore of the noblest knights of Denmark. The flaming forest there in thunder fell, the cauldron smoked with the fires of hell, and there the demons dark did well amid the bones of Denmark. Quoth Beowulf, farewell, comrades, free. This journey none may share with me, and his shining helm plunged in the sea to avenge the woes of Hero. The Nikors gnashed his ringed mail and saw their white fangs gleaming pale. A green light burned in that deep sea dale and halls more high than Hero. The demon lurked at a cave's dark door, her fangs and fingers were red with gore, and skulls of men lay on the floor beneath the feet of Beowulf. At his corselet tore her claws accursed, her teeth at his throat for blood did thirst, and the sword there failed in a sunder burst that unfirth gave to Beowulf. There nigh was his death in the shadowy deep, where a corpse lay low on bony heap, where Grendel slept in his long sleep and strode no more to Hero. A sword hung huge on the cavern's wall, once forged by ancient giants tall. Beowulf seized it as lightnings fall, it fell on the foe of Hero. O oh, etch those sons, she dying said, forbear to hew my vanquished head, or hard and stony be thy death's bed, and a red fate fall on Denmark. Then hard and stony must be the bed where I last I lay me dead. And Beowulf hewed the demon's head and hailed it back to Denmark. Merrily me Merrily mead men quaffed at the board, and Hrothgar dealt his golden hoard, but Beowulf wore no more the sword that Unferth gave in Hero. The moon gleamed in through the window's wan, as Beowulf drank he looked thereon, and the light in the eyes of the demon shone amid the blaze of Hero. On the sails of a ship the sunlight smiled, its bosom with gleaming gold was piled, and the wind blew loud and free and wild as it left the land of Denmark. Voices followed from the sounding shore that blessed the lord those timbers bore, but that sail returned thither nevermore, and his fate was far from Denmark. The demon head in the hall did hang, and grinned from the wall while minstrels sang, till flames leapt forth and red swords rang, and hushed were the harps of Hero. Latest and last one ordered of head, as he lay on a hard and stony bed, and venom burned him, and he bled, remembered the light of Hero. All right. I'll see you guys on Tuesday with the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. <laughs>